I'm Jonathan Goldstein, and you're listening to Wiretap on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius Satellite Radio 159. Today's episode, part six in our ongoing series on the seven deadly sins, Sloth, in which the sloth inspires a revolution, the kitten is dethroned, and the hare accuses the tortoise of cheating. Do you have batteries? Triple A. I might have batteries. You know where you can also get batteries? Uh, no. At, at the store. you got to go to stores. You're coming to me, pal. My remote doesn't work. Might I suggest you're getting off uh, your rump? and? Uh... This is a lifestyle choice that I've made. Okay, I expect you, as my friend, to support it. What What is this lifestyle choice? John, I've decided to step up my lazy game. Meaning? Do I have to spell it out for you? Because, quite frankly, that's work. John, think of my life as one long Sabbath. And what has inspired this this life change? I watched a documentary on the sloth. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what? Very, very inspirational creatures. Are they? They barely do anything. They hang from trees. They're basically like the animal kingdom's version of a hammock. So does this mean that you're going to start hanging upside down? Is that a part of this whole thing? I tried it. It makes my hair frizzy and my food come up. Mm-hmm. Are you aware that a sloth moves only three meters in its entire lifetime? I don't, that doesn't sound right. John, they said it in the documentary, which I was watching because I couldn't change the channel since my remote control didn't have any batteries. The sloth is basically like a koala bear doing Tai Chi. Everybody loves the sloth. Why? Because they see reflected in sloth what they want to be themselves, but only I have the courage to go for it. Everyone else is a coward. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't mess with them, right? Because they will very, very slowly gouge your eyes out. All right, so this documentary's changed your life. I couldn't change the channel, and it changed my life, which will be the title of my memoir. How are you enacting this change? I'm basically trying to strip out all the extraneous actions from my life. Bathing, doing anything. I sleep 23 hours a day. This is my talk hour. This is when I call people to have them do things for me. Your, your, your muscles are going to atrophy if you keep going this way. What, what do I need muscles for? Right? All my life I've done the heavy lifting. Isn't it time that I finally rewarded myself with a lifetime of complete inactivity? Josh, you're going to get bed sores. That's why I have my girl come in twice a week. What, what girl? My intern. She comes in twice a week. You, how did you get an intern? I told her I work for the CBC, and uh, she's very interested in you career can, advancement. You can't just say something like that. I mean, she's getting valuable work experience, John. She's finally putting that liberal arts degree to use. Mm-hmm. In today's society, it's actually more easy than you think to drop out, right? I get everything delivered. So then what do you need me for? I miss the closeness of our friendship. Well, that's, that's very sweet. And I need to be turned. You can use the shovel in the front hall. You might not want to handle me directly. My skin secretions can be quite caustic. Josh, I am not encouraging this. Ridiculous fantasy. It's not a fantasy, John. It's the way that I choose to divorce myself from reality. Think of it as a reality show, the world's laziest bachelor. Pierre Saint-Amand, you're the author of The Pursuit of Laziness, an idle interpretation of the Enlightenment. That's right. How, how was laziness viewed in the Enlightenment? Not very well, as you probably can imagine. The, the 18th century is, is actually sometimes called the age of industry. So uh, with the rise of the industrial age, 
work itself becomes, uh, you know, the sole virtue, and therefore um, laziness uh, is seen as uh, as not contributing to the to the state, to the to the welfare of the nation. But in in the book, I, I address the authors and the philosophers that actually um, wrote uh, apologies for laziness. So they they were trying to defend laziness. Exactly. So uh, one good example is a very special uh, writer whose name is Joseph Joubert, who um, uh, apparently spent a lot of his time basically in bed. He never produced any 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 book itself, but he, he left tons of notebooks. So he, uh, he was so against work that he ended up not even leaving behind any any book. That is right. He was too lazy to find a publisher? <laughs> exactly. He simply abandoned himself to um, this type of attitude of, uh, of laziness, not wanting to, to become uh, involved in, in, a, in a type of productivity where utility um, is um, the goal. I mean, he, he wrote a lot of, against um, Newton, against Voltaire. He despised them. He saw them as uh, busy philosophers. And, um, and sees this as a, as a, as a bad thing. Yes, yes, he sees that as a bad thing, absolutely. You know, he's, he was himself so busy, busy producing nothing, uh, in, in a way. Hmm. There, there is a quote, I think, that maybe you may appreciate. Okay. He writes, um, I would like thoughts to succeed one another like stars in the sky with order and harmony, but relaxed and dispersed. Yes, I would like them to mill around without catching or sticking together so that each one of them could subsist on its own. So it's like these ideas dispersed in his notebooks are like stars, and the stars are these cosmic flaneurs. Yeah, that's absolutely it, exactly. What, what, what in your opinion, do you think we, we, we miss out on as a society by rushing through life in the way that we do? It could be simply, uh, you know, uh, the, the time taken to to look at things, to um, valorize the, the world in front of us. Uh, I think we live in a, in a time when we, we don't even spend the time to smell the coffee, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my coffee cup uh, on my desk right now, and it's got like one of those sippy yes, lids. Yes, yes, You You don't, it's, it's as though smell of coffee has been taken out of the equation. I can't yes, even smell the coffee. Those, they have made those cups, you know, ready to, to go. Basically. So you could run out the door and pour it down your throat and it's, Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, we don't take the time to basically enjoy the, uh, I think, the senses. You know, there are many, many virtues to slowness and I think to take the time of doing nothing is life, you know. Pierre Saint-Amand is right. There is nothing wrong with doing nothing, just sitting back and taking the time to enjoy the little things. Nothing slothful about spending time with your goddaughters, watching YouTube videos about sloths. How cute. Their noses are all pink. <gasps> He's getting a buzz cut now. Oh, look at him squirm. And so the idea is that now sloths are the cutest 
animals on the internet. Is that it? Totally. So cute. I love them. But it, it seemed just like yesterday. You guys used to be into showing me uh, videos of uh, little ducklings and uh, panda bears. And talking pugs that say I love you. How do they say, how do they say I love you? Now, like, if you look at, like, a puppy or something, do you just feel like, ugh? I mean, puppies, you can see them anywhere, but, like, baby sloths are, like, the new trend. They're the best animals ever. Well, what's, why? What's so great about sloths? They hug, they're fuzzy, and they hang upside down from trees. What's cuter than that? And it's so cute how they're like, I'm a sloth. Now, can I bring up one point, though, to you guys? Have you ever heard of the seven deadly sins? Uh, I don't know. Okay, there's greed, and there's envy, and then there's pride. One of the seven deadly sins is sloth. And what sloth means is being too lazy and not not working hard enough. They're not lazy. They work so hard. Isn't it, like, hard enough to act cute all the time? If they stop for one second, snap. All their admirers are all gone. No, but it comes naturally being cute. It's not something you have to work at. That's what you think. Being cute is work enough. How much more could they do? Well, I don't know. I mean, you look at other animals like uh, cats. You know, they catch mice. Dogs help blind people to see. Pigs give us bacon. Pigs give us bacon? (laughs) That's their job. No, it's not. Oh, yeah. Isn't that their job, Katie? No. Excuse me. Excuse me. Can I have your attention, please? Honorable Animals of the Forest Council, Secretary Otter and Chairman Skunk, I'm sorry, but I must interrupt. I know that time is of the essence, so I'll try to keep my remarks brief. I stand before you not an arrogant hare, nor a flashy hare, as some of you would have it, but merely a hare who cares about this forest and all of its creatures. I've not come here to cast aspersions on the tortoise. This is not a time for bipartisanship. Whether you be a hare man or a tortoise man, we must all work together. But to save the forest from its impending doom, it's important you know the truth about the race known as tortoise versus hare, or as the tabloids put it, tortoise beat showboat hare in upset of the decade. The fact of the matter is, the tortoise cheated. I know how this makes me look. The hare is a poor loser, you say. The hare has a problem with tortoises. Well, I'll stop you right there. Let the record show that I've nothing against turtles of any kind. The snapping turtle is godfather to 27 of my kids for crying out loud. But if you think there is any chance that tortoise beat me fair and square, you are deluding yourselves. Tortoises aren't socially conditioned to think they're slow. They are slow. And regardless of being given the right opportunities and mentorship programs, they will continue to remain slow. 
And let's be frank, they're slow and then there's lazy. And our friend the tortoise is lazy, a lazy sneak. You see, the genius of the tortoise is that he plays up that whole slow southern gentleman sipping lemonade thing to mask this laziness. Go ahead and ask him for a favor and you'll see what I mean. Let me check my schedule, he'll say. And after 20 minutes spent watching him turn a single page of his social calendar, you give up and go home. And guess what? The tortoise wins again. So imagine my surprise when one morning I wake up to discover the entire forest is talking about how I challenged the tortoise. Think about it. Why would a hare challenge a tortoise to a race? It doesn't make sense. What would it prove? If I win, I'm an ass And if I lose, I'm an embarrassment to my species. But again, that is the genius of the tortoise. Oh, how I was vilified after that race. In the picture they ran on the cover of the Forest Post, I'm pulling my whiskers out and stomping on my top hat, yelling at a judging official. There I was, the arrogant buck-toothed hare with the fabulous libido that everyone loves to hate, finally receiving his comeuppance. And the lies that were told about the race itself. Why would I stop just shy of the finish line and eat a large turkey dinner with all of the trimmings? I'm a vegetarian. Or why would I pull out a beach chair and take a sun tanning break? First of all, I burn easily. And second, what am I, an idiot? In the days after the race, when I put forth my multiple tortoises in multiple forest nooks theory, I was labeled a paranoid. A conspiracy nut, not to mention a speciest for suggesting that tortoises all look the same. But I knew then, as I know now, that there was a network of them, tortoises, all working in cahoots, stationed behind trees, hiding in briar patches all along the racing route. Nonetheless, the tortoise was awarded the title of fastest in the forest, and I had no choice but to shake his wrinkled little green hand and congratulate him. But dear fellow forest dwellers, back to the business at hand of this emergency meeting. As Smokey Bear alerted us this morning, the forest is burning. Time is of the essence, and with all due respect to the authority of this council, sending the tortoise, your number one racing machine, as messenger to alert the creatures of these woods that there's a fire raging and that they must run for their lives. Not the best choice in the world. The tortoise left three hours ago, but if you rise up onto your hind legs, you can still see him down at the bottom of the hill. See? He's been lying there eating a lettuce leaf for the past half hour. If you just give me the okay to get running, hopefully it isn't too late and I can still spread the word. All in favor, say aye. For the love of this forest and all that is good, please, please say aye.
Like our friend the hare says, there's slowness and then there's laziness. But there is actually a kind of labor that can take place in a completely motionless state. For those whose minds never remain idle, but are always busy, anticipating problems and enacting test drills for worst-case scenarios, life is a constant, exhausting work in progress. Some might even say that from the moment they open their eyes in the morning, it is a worry in progress. Now I'm worried that there was a power outage in the middle of the night, and it might not really be 7.20 a.m. right now. Now I'm worried that my walls are so thin I kept my neighbors awake all night with my snoring. Now I'm worried that my shirt is still damp from hang drying, and I'll catch a pneumonia if I wear it. Now I'm worried because I don't know who to call to get the knot out of my sweatpants. A handyman? Now I'm worried because I can't find my Velcro shoes, so I have to wear ones with laces and might get sucked into an escalator. Now I'm worried that if I turn on the hallway light on my way to the kitchen, a flock of moths will race out and some of them will get in my ears. that my house will blow up because I plugged my kettle's two-pronged plug into a three-pronged outlet. Now I'm worried because I can't get my banana open. Now I'm worried that bees will come out and attack me if I put honey in my tea. Now I'm worried that termites will eat one of my chair legs while I'm sitting on it. Now I'm worried that the grocer has fiddled with the expiration date on this juice. Now I'm worried because either my new Lipitor pills are silver or I just swallowed my watch battery. Now I'm worried that one of the raisins in my cereal was a bug. I might trip on the carpet on my way to the bathroom and break my wrist. Now I'm worried that one of my fillings will fall out and both my dentists will be on vacation. Now I'm worried that soap will go in my eyes and I won't be able to see the faucet to turn it off and I'll flood my house. Now I'm worried because the phone call I just missed may have been an emergency. Hello, it's Ruth from the book club reminding you to print this week's notes for our meeting tonight. Thank you. Goodbye now. Now I'm worried because my toner cartridge is empty, but I'd need to make a difficult left turn to get to the staples in the mall. 
Now I'm worried that if I don't get to the mall soon, it'll close while I'm in there and I'll be locked in overnight and I'll starve because the food court will be gated off. Now I'm worried that every time I get a key made, the key people make a duplicate for themselves. Now I'm worried that my neighbor's chimney is on fire. Now I'm worried because the squirrel in my oak tree has lost weight and maybe he has a nut allergy. Now I'm worried that I'll run into some bigwig from my book club and they'll see how dirty my car is. Now I'm worried that my Saturn doesn't really have airbags and that the salesman in the hat was lying. Now I'm worried that the driver of the truck next to me is distracted by that wavy blow-up doll on the tire store and he'll veer into my lane. Now I'm worried about this very dangerous left-hand turn. Now I'm worried that the car behind me is worried about their left-hand turn, too. Now I'm worried that my granddaughter will get pregnant because she just got her braces off. Now I'm worried that when my grandson gets Lasix, there'll be an earthquake and he'll have to wear an eye patch for the rest of his life. Now I'm worried that I hit the snooze bar instead of the off switch so my alarm clock will disturb my neighbors while I'm running errands. Now I'm worried that my emergency brake may have been up for the entire trip. Now I'm worried that the automatic doors will shut on me and cut me in half to teach me a good lesson. Now I'm worried that my grandson will get those things in his ears that'll make his lobes the size of silver dollar pancakes. Now I'm worried that they won't accept my 10% off coupon for the ink cartridge because it's slightly torn. Now I'm worried that the clerk will copy down the numbers on my charge card and flee the country. Now I'm worried I won't remember where I parked my Saturn. Now I'm worried that my Saturn has been vandalized, then stolen, then salvaged for parts and left on concrete blocks in a dangerous part of town. I'm worried that the cashier's acne was really chickenpox. Now I'm worried that I got the wrong toner cartridge. Now I'm worried that I'm too wound up to take my afternoon nap. Now I'm worried that the ceiling fan will fall and slice me up in my sleep. 
Now I'm worried because I've been keeping my batteries in the refrigerator, so some of the voltage may have traveled into my now margarine. Now I'm worried about Brew Carey getting fat again. Now I'm worried that dwarf robbers broke in through my now door. Now I'm worried that the bank tellers prance around all now day. Now I'm worried that there won't be enough pickles on my sandwich, and I'll need to go back and On Wiretap today, you heard Joshua Carpati, Helen and Katie Pallet-Wiesel, and Pierre Saint-Amand, author of The Pursuit of Laziness, An Idle Interpretation of the Enlightenment. You also heard my retelling of The Tortoise and the Hare, which was inspired by Lord Dunsany's retelling of the Aesop's Fable. At the end of today's show, you heard Now I'm Worried, which was read by Katie Malik and was written by Nancy Cohen and Brian Fraser. Brian is the author of Hyperchondriac, One Man's Quest to Calm Down. For more adventures and worry, follow them on Twitter at Now I'm Worried. Special thanks to Frances Foster in the role of Ruth, the book club lady. Wiretap is produced by Mira Bertwintonic, Crystal Duhame, and me, Jonathan Goldstein. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or at cbc.ca slash wiretap where you can also download the latest wiretap ringtone. I sleep 23 hours a day. This is my talk hour. Let your inner sloth shine like a beacon unto the nations with every ring of your phone. Now I'm worried that I didn't wash my hands long enough before I handled that peach. Now I'm worried that the revolving restaurant I'm going to for a bar mitzvah next week will fly off and crash like a frisbee. Now I'm worried because my fortune cookie said I'm about to get into a romantic situation and I'd rather not at this point. Now I'm worried about saying lip balm around airport security because it sounds exactly like lip balm. Now I'm worried about all this thread count chicanery because my